Welcome to the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are cultivating conversations about our world that help us impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. Your hosts are me, Ellen Vosberg, Andrew Unger, and John Mark Smith. This week, we're letting Andrew run wild (laughs) (laughs) by presenting him with a variety of common youth ministry tropes and having him react in the moment. Let's go. Yeah, so obviously one thing we all know is that that uh, we are not a, at a podcast with people short on opinions, but among even us, Andrew is often known for having the strongest. So and we're, we're excited to do this. And quickest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe I've heard you say quite directly that, you know, like whatever it is, I probably have an opinion. I, I've so. never met a statement that I can't form an opinion on very quickly. And become very convinced of it, for good or for ill. Yeah. So we're we're going to try and leverage that both for fun and for learning. We'll see. More fun than learning, though. Let's More fun honest. than learning today. <laughs> so Andrew, what I did is I literally scoured the internet for about ten minutes and found a bunch of youth ministry articles and different advice that they gave or topics, and I I quoted them or. Uh, summarize them into like a pithy little statement. So what we're going to do is we're going to give them to you. Okay. And then um, then we just want you to react, give us your opinion, and then Ellen will tell you why you're wrong. So <laughs> Excellent. Sound good? So um, these are not in any particular order. They're just uh, things I found on the internet that people are saying about youth ministry. Let's go. All right. So first one, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Yeah. If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Um, so for a number of years, I legitimately bragged that our youth group didn't play games because I was like, we don't need games. My kids love the Bible and we just dive right in. Um, You're not like other youth ministers. I'm not like other youth groups. <laughs> this, man, so much of my identity has been wrapped around. I'm not like other youth groups. Um, I, I'd like to say that the the church I served at for for fourteen years did have an eccentric group of both parishioners and youth, mm. um, so in some ways we weren't like other youth groups. Um, so obviously that's a false statement that if it's not fun it's not worth doing. Um, but I think there's a the the counter reaction of like we're not fun at all. I think fun is worth doing on its own and is good by itself. Like we don't have to, we don't have to say that like fun activities in a youth group, like we don't have to make up some sort of spiritualized reason about either using them as like a gateway to a deeper spiritual lesson. Like we play capture the flag, but Satan's trying to capture your heart or something like that. Um, <laughs> there's, there's so many good Twitter accounts that like do the Jesus juke really well and do youth mm-hmm. pastor voice. And I, I want to get better at it. Um, so you don't want a Jesus juke. And you don't want to be like, well, this is this is important because it's fellowship, which which then brings our group together for the lesson. Like, fun is good. Fun is good. It is good to have fun with adults. Sometimes we get together just to have fun, and it doesn't have to be for the purpose of like spiritual advancement. Because if God created a good world full of fun things, and fun is just like on its own an unmitigated good. Uh, but sometimes you have to do things that aren't fun. 
Well, Andrew, you're kind of you're kind of stealing the 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 thunder for the next one because you're you're kind of going inverse because you just made the argument for why fun is good, but this point was if it's not fun, it's not worth. Okay, doing. if it's not fun, it's not it, worth doing. Which which implies that you should be making your Bible studies fun and you should be making your service projects fun. And if these things aren't fun, don't do them. Fun is a stupid benchmark <laughs> to be the only benchmark. Guys, you heard it here first. Fun is fun stupid. Is a stupid ben- it's a stupid benchmark. It's good because- and created by God, but stupid. <laughs> It's stupid to have as your only benchmark because there's lots of things that are enjoyable, good that kids might walk away with and say, I'm really glad I did that without being fun. Fun is too low of a bar. Like sometimes Bible studies are fun, but sometimes they're really engaging or sometimes they're really thought provoking or sometimes they're really unsettling and it was good because it makes you ask good questions. But like those aren't necessarily fun things. And so... um, Using fun as your only metric is a stupid way to do youth ministry. Sure. I'll so, be that so Alan, is Andrew right or wrong on this one? I think Andrew's right. Let's go. Oh, in, oh. in both versions of his response. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, and I'm going to skip the next one because the next one was related. I was going to do fun is irrelevant, just teach the Bible. But I feel like you addressed that one already, Andrew. So Look at that. I'm anticipating okay. your, your fastballs. Your sliders. Well, get That's, ready because here comes a curveball. I think curveballs. <laughs> Knuckleball. Uh, spitballs coming later too. So get <laughs> get ready for that. We are never no. I was going to go on a tangent. We're just going to leave it. Go for it. Okay. Next up, uh, what we have next? Skipping number two, number three. I'm going to give no context. Anyone in youth ministry will know what I'm saying when I say this. But here it is. Don't make purple. I, as soon as you said you don't need context, <laughs> I knew you were going to say don't make purple. All right. This is, so everyone should know yesterday as we were talking about this as a plan for an episode, um, I was given a, a, a nice warning from someone who cares about me that this is an episode that gets Andrew fired. Uh, that's what this episode sounds like. Um, so no, maybe if, none of, our, if our listeners are hearing this episode, then we have determined that none of the content created got you fired or yes, would get that's you right. fired. If you're hearing this right now, it means that whatever I say next, we don't think it'll get me fired. Um, <laughs> okay. So never make purple is so like how it, it can be applied in different ways, right? Cause if you're at camp, it's like, okay, boys should never be in girls room. Girls should never be in boys rooms. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of get that. I have been, I was a college student and I was on like a youth group slash college mission trip where they had so many kids going and they were sleeping in the basement of churches. And so it was like, all right, there are like three rooms. You're just going to set up like 40 air mattresses and everybody sleeps on one and like you don't get changed in that room, but everybody just sleeps in the same room. And the idea was like, you're in a room with 40 other people. We're not really worried about what kids will get up to. Um, so I think sometimes the the don't make purple rule is overused. There's probably some wisdom in like, if you do have sort of private sleeping areas, maybe it's wise not to be one-on-one alone with someone in such a setting. But even then... Maybe? Just maybe? <laughs> Just maybe. Probably. I'll go with probably. <laughs> uh, You're thinking about it. You're coming around to the... I'm coming around to the wisdom of it. <laughs> Here's 
Okay, so this is going to get into this. this is getting into the into the like true love waits Christian dating culture courtship thing. I think one of the one of the problems with the courtship model and the I'm waiting till I'm married to get kissed thing um, or to kiss someone is that it actually denies what is probably this is going to be that like fun is good normal adolescent dating experiences like being a teenager in love and kissing someone or like falling in in air quotes love and kissing other people doesn't need to actually be overly sexualized it doesn't have to be like it can just be what normal teenage dating looks like and that's fine so i think sometimes the overly cautious like oh man we can never let people be alone together on youth retreats we can never every time there has to be a chaperone all the time there has to obviously you're not gonna just like you don't want kids to like have sex on your retreats let's be clear <laughs> it's bad for kids to be like having makeout <laughs> sessions on your retreats on <laughs> no but i think <laughs> let me let me use a different anecdote to try and to try and illustrate it so i used to do <laughs> I used to do uh, mall scavenger hunts with my youth group. And so we'd go to the mall and I'd have either a list of pictures they had to take or like things they had to acquire. And they were in small, they would go sent off in small groups. And there was one time we went and we didn't have enough leaders. So I had to sort of go along with one of the groups. And I was disappointed about that because to some level, when you're a teenager and with a bunch of teenagers in a mall, there is a, a threshold of like mischief that is totally normal and kind of fun that doesn't break rules, but is not the kind of thing I could condone if I was with you. Like as the mature adult, I you're going to jump into the fountain at the mall. I, I stopped doing that. If I'm not around and you do that, I'm not actually mad that you did that um, because, because you're teenagers and you get into mischief. So I think when we, as we, as we try and form policies and think about how teenage boys and girls interact with each other, we need to set up clear boundaries that keep them from doing things that we think cross boundaries. But at the same time, I want to let teenagers be teenagers and I want to let them like have sure. crushes and have butterflies and, and I, yeah. yeah. So Alan, Andrew's right or wrong. What do you think? I mean, I don't want to lose my job either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, Andrew's great, great. The reason this game is so fun with Andrew is because he can't just respond to the prompts. He's got to insert his other <laughs> philosophical <laughs> values. Everything yes, else has exactly. to come in. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I think in some... I mean, I'm actually pretty opposed to teenage dating. I don't think that there's any, any need Let's for go. teenagers to date. Um, so I'm going to disagree with you there. You're wrong. Um, I right. think it's... Just like an unnecessary, weighty adult responsibility to be dating, and maybe I maybe I have bad opinions about dating, but so I, I think, think we need to define there. dating. We should later, yeah. Right. But continue. That's not the purpose of today's podcast. It's not this today's is not about podcast. clarity. This is not about clarity. This is not about. <laughs> I think don't make purple is good in the context. <laughs> of youth group and youth ministry contexts because those things can create a conflict and pain that is distracting and unnecessary for youth ministry. So I guess well, I'm technically well, but... I'm technically on board with like general mischief taking place. 
We are pro mischief on this podcast. Pro mischief, because like wait, we're, wait, pro, whoa, whoa. we're pro I'm not fun. This is the two of you are pro. pro but mischief. I am, I am in. I'm, I'm good with don't make purple. I think I don't think we should not make purple to the extent that we shame teenagers who do date or who do, uh, yeah, hold hands, kiss their boyfriend, etc. But I don't, I, I don't think we have to encourage it or allow it loosely in a youth ministry context so andrew is wrong boom okay that's all i want i just Andrew's get to wrong. say that's he's what, wrong. i was just waiting for you to say he's wrong okay um, wrong. we're gonna we're gonna go on to another one because we could be on that one all day um <laughs> and there are some other ones that will come up that might bring us back to similar topics so all right next up next up andrew i want you to react your take on this youth ministry uh gem this I'm nugget ready. here Kids need Jesus, not religion. Oh, man. I have a lot of opinions about this. <laughs> As opposed to these last ones where you had so few. No, I, I'm coming into this one with like a full battery of opinions. Okay. So I think that statement is meant to convey um, we don't need behavior modification. Um, we don't need kids to... Um, belong to an external set of practices um, without having an internal change of heart, right? The, this idea that you don't want kids to behave and look look a certain way and behave a certain way without having Jesus really change their life. Um, I think this fundamentally un- misunderstands Jesus and religion. Uh, the <laughs> religion Religion is just, there's a great book by David Dark called uh, Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. And in it, he he talks about religion as the stories and practices we use to make sense out of the world. And I think to to believe that you you can have this faith with Jesus and not have some sort of practices, behaviors, rituals, routines, rhythms that are unrelated to that um, is both untrue because all of us create liturgies, all of us create practices. And it also sets kids up for failure because they think that their relationship with Jesus is some sort of like emotional feeling thing with them, with Jesus, without the behaviors and ongoing practices. Like, I don't think that's how normal human relationships work. Like friendships and marriages and like all require consistent practices that are sometimes heartfelt and spontaneous and are sometimes, okay, this is the thing we need to do to keep in touch and to make sure that we still maintain our relationship and maintain closeness and and there's a, a habit and a ritual to it um so i feel like <laughs> as someone who's been profoundly affected by books like you are what you love and liturgy of the ordinary the idea that that what we want to hand over to teenagers is is sort of pure just connection relationship with jesus unrelated to behaviors and habits and rhythms um is flawed in in many many ways i get that there are a lot of people who have had bad experiences with ritual and routine and liturgy and for them those became a sort of legalistic way to understand their faith and they may have grown up in contexts where the legalism got in the way of internal transformation and like sure let's let's put rituals in their place in service of our faith let's put the routines in the context of the relationship absolutely um but I just think, 
to put it more strongly than maybe I should. I think that kind of thinking is why we have an entire deconstruction movement and why most of our peers left church after youth group, because eventually the enthusiasm of their teenage years waned because that's how humans work. We're more enthusiastic in our teenage years and we have a different kind of life afterwards. And they had zero processes by which to maintain that relationship after they were enthusiastic teenagers. All right. I, that, that's a bold statement. Ellen, do you agree that, that people would still be in church if we had just not told them he, they need Jesus, not religion? Would they still be in church? If we told them that they just need Jesus. If we hadn't told religion. them that. If, that's what I was, um, um, Andrew's claim is if this is why people aren't in church anymore. So what do you think? I mean, is I Andrew think that's right? overstatement, but Andrew is generally right. Okay. All right. Nice. Let's go. Andrew, what are, what are, I think you're two for two and two now, basically. I'm two and one. Two and one. Okay. Two and one. Well, unless we I'll, count that first question as two questions getting, getting melded together, in which case I'm three and one. Let's say two and a half and one. <laughs> All right. Let's see. What do we want to do next? Okay. Speaking of questions that could get you fired from your job. Here's a statement for you to respond to, Andrew. Um, Safety standards get in the way of authentic ministry. Safety standards get in the way of authentic ministry. What do you think? How do you respond to that? Um, Well, they they do and they don't. Um, I think a lot of us have been in situations where, like growing up, there are mentoring relationships, there are moments where Maybe we were one-on-one with an adult in a situation that wouldn't be ministry-safe compliant, um, Mm. but they were important moments for us. Um, I think, and I think lots of people have been in those moments and been harmed by abusive and predatory leaders. And so um, policies like that do make relational ministry more challenging, um, all because this is the paradox to do relational ministry requires vulnerability. Vulnerability is where people get hurt and we create policies to, to try and limit the amount of vulnerability that minors have to experience. But there is some element where they need to be vulnerable with the adults around them. So we still need to allow for some vulnerability for them to share who they are, to be open and honest. Um, I mean, you just think about mentoring and you think about a teenager wanting to share some hard parts of their life, but they have to do so in a place where they can be, where you're in public or seen by other people. And so you have to get creative with, okay, we're going to do that in, in a, a, a public setting where there's lots of crowd noise so that they don't feel like the personal things they're sharing are going to be picked up by someone else, right? Or, or, or you go to a public space that's not in their hometown, so they won't see friends when they're there, right? You have to get really creative with it. Um, and, you know, I was once talking with a, a, a more seasoned youth minister and, and, you know, I was saying, realizing some games we can't play anymore because they're often in the dark and require, you know, lots of people to be close together in dark places without any supervision. You're like, well, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. That's how you make purple. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, and, and at first I was like, man, you know, we, we didn't used to have these problems. Because I remember having fun in those times in youth group and running around a dark church. And I remember having a lot of fun thinking we didn't used to have these problems. And then I thought, oh, no, we, 
what we're learning is we did always have these problems. It's just that victims weren't believed and victims didn't share and lots of, we've always had that problem and we've just recently decided that we're going to, that we're going to make steps to make some relational ministry more difficult for the sake of an overwhelming Mm -hmm. (laughs) problem that we've had before. Um, So I'm very pro those rules, even though sometimes they frustrate me because I know that without rules, all kinds of bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. Andrew's right. I, uh, all right. <laughs> See, Ellen and I, I are on the same page more than people think. Well, of course you are. You're both Christians who love Jesus. <laughs> Christians who love Jesus rarely disagree. Oh, that's not my point. I'm saying if you actually took stock of what we really cared about, Christians uh, would be far more than we disagree. uh, Well, Ellen, I was hoping for a little more vigorous response, but okay, she agrees. That's all we got. Well, moving on. Stamp of approval. Nailed it. Hey, okay. Well, okay. Well, let's go back to something that more more likely to get you guys uh, uh, disagreeing. (laughs) Um, What do we got here? Okay, we're going to go straight for the heart. (laughs) Let's go. Ellen. And... Twist the knife. About, this one's about biblical engagement. Ready? Here we go. The only context that matters is the biblical context. <laughs> Are you talking about when we're reading scripture? The only context that matters for the passage is the biblical. That up to okay, you to respond to. <laughs> but uh, I think the implication there is um, far-reaching. Yeah. So I'll at least, if we're talking about biblical interpretation. Um, everyone should go read the introduction to the book justification by nt Wright. um no uh, i'll I'll get there it's gonna make sense um so he Wright had been writing a lot of books but he hadn't finished his like his paul books that he released in i don't know when were when did those come out like 2015 something like that um it's a book it's multi-volume a multi-volume book uh on paul that nt Wright finally released um but he'd been writing these other books and giving his talks and things like that And while he was doing that, John Piper had written a book like explicitly like what N.T. Wright gets wrong about Paul, I think is the title. Like it's it's just like John Piper saying, I've heard the stuff N.T. Wright has said, and I'm going to write a book because it's problematic and I got to call him out. So Wright is like, so (laughs) N.T. Wright writes justification. uh, And in the introduction, he's like, first off, my scholarly work is on Jesus. I haven't gotten to my Paul book yet. So you actually don't like I haven't made my argument yet, but fine. Um. But then he addresses this question because Piper will say things like that. Like, like we just need the biblical context. We can't go to all these extra biblical authors and extra biblical sources to understand what Paul is saying. We just need the Bible. And Wright is like, I think that's nonsense. Uh, I think we, we get a perfect example of it. But he essentially says, like, I think even using just the biblical context, I can refute John Piper. So I'm going to tie one arm behind my back and I'm going to make, I'm going to like write a book responding to piper's book um even though my better arguments are outside but i'm gonna he doesn't say tie one arm behind his back but he basically is like fine i'll play your game and i'll write a better book anyways um it was very sassy and i liked it um you and liked it That's i did <laughs> <laughs> andrew likes nt right when he's spicy who would have thought um i i do think it's actually really important to help our students understand 
the the historical cultural context around reading the Bible because I think very often um, what we're what we're teaching them is that they could understand a two thousand year old document without properly understanding the history of that two thousand year old document. And I think even people who don't like extra biblical sources still do that kind of work all the time. Like they're always bringing out context from outside of scripture. So they'll talk about like, well, what you got to know about Rome in that day, or what you've got to know about how crucifixions worked in that day. Like they're constantly appealing to historical sources. It's just that they don't, they think they're doing plain basic reading and just bringing in neutral historical sources rather than doing the like, this is what the like nerds in the ivory towers do. Um, so I think it's actually really important to do that in a way that encourages students and youth uh, to to believe that they can get what they need to understand the Bible without going to seminary, but but also have helping them understand like your English translation is the product of centuries of scholarship. Um, so it scholarship is actually really important. To even even the English that you're reading is built upon generations of scholarship feeding off of each other. All right. Alan, what do you think? Is Andrew right again? Yeah, I think so. And what what he didn't even include, because Andrew just sort of spoke to... Did, we, did Andrew agree with this? The only context that matters is the biblical context? No, I... I disagree because, because we need the other context. you think that the context. biblical context is just the words on the page. That's how you interpret that phrase. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so you're also pro-historical cultural context. And what you didn't mention was the importance of reading our own context when reading the Bible. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that so, up because that's what so I, I was thinking the whole yes time. And. Oh. That yes we cannot and. teach our students the Bible with just the biblical context, with just the historical cultural context. We also have to teach them how to how to read our own context, how to understand it properly, and how to make um, the interpretive moves needed to make to to live the Bible ourselves as people who believe um, that the Bible is authoritative and meaningful for the lives we're living today as well. So yes, and yes, I saw, I I, <clears throat> I was going to bring that up because. Um, one of the ways I've heard this used is actually less about what Andrew's talking about, though yeah. I've heard that a lot, but about like, oh, when you're preparing a sermon, don't worry about what's going on in your students' lives. Just mm -hmm. teach the Bible, right? Like and that that's bad. Of, as if yeah. the only context that mattered when you're teaching is the Bible, even, no matter how you understand what that is. Even if you did everything Andrew said, you know, you still need, you need to pay attention to students. All right, we have time for one more, I think. Oh, Andrew's got the look of like he wants to, I was to say no further rebuttal, Andrew. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I, I've heard a friend talk about in his sermons that he's just trying to, he doesn't do application. He doesn't do sort of contemporary stuff because he just wants to tell the better story and help people and, and, and sort of plant that so they can learn, learn to live it in their own lives. And I can understand and appreciate that. And sometimes applications are too specific and weird. And it's hard, it's hard for me to say to you, this is how you should apply this pack passage in your particular life. But I do agree with you guys. There's something really important about saying, here's what I see culturally going on, which also means we have to be very, very good students of the culture around us and 
rigorously understand what's going on, not just like, not just like sit in the church and like read occasional headlines. Um, well, and I don't think of our particular context as just a matter of application. I don't, I don't like that term or want to use it at all. Um, it's more about bringing the the what we're learning in the Bible to bear on our own lives. Like asking the question of like, okay, so why does it matter to us? How do we yeah. now live now that we know this? And so I right. think app- application is sometimes used to um, say, okay, so what do we what do we do? like an action mm-hmm. or a behavior. Um, and really, I don't think that that's what the Bible should do at all. Um, I mean, sometimes certain parts of it have have things to say about our behaviors. I, I don't deny that. Right. But um, I think in general, when we're learning from the biblical text, it, 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 it has the power to change not only our behaviors, but but our, our minds, our stories, our lives, our perspective on um, the world, um, it should be shaping how we think about God. Um, right. so that's really what well, I mean when I'm talking about the, yeah. like our, for me, bringing it into our context. What I would add is that when you're talking about the context of your people, it's not, how do I apply this lesson to them? But it's simply, how do I know enough about what's going on in their lives to know which aspect of the gospel that they need to hear about today? What part mm-hmm. of the story? Oh, yeah, yeah, great. There's a big story. I believe that. But which part of the story is so helpful? Because um, there's a great and glorious and large story we're a part of. Yeah. So that's kind of how I think about it. All right. We're going to have to do this last one real quickly so we can uh, get it in. But uh, this will be a fun one. Dress codes are an important part of our Christian witness. <laughs> Speaking of behavior. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So... For our Patreon subscribers, you will have heard we don't have Patreon subscribers. But before before we started, we were having an extended conversation about my dress code on Sunday mornings and me wearing shorts to church. Um so okay, the same dress codes are an important part of our Christian witness. Um I take a lot of issue with the word important. Um because it, maybe it's somewhere on the on the list, how we dress matters, but um, I think it has been overplayed. I think, especially for girls, it has been drastically overplayed. Um, I think there is there's a really important cultural corrective to some of the modesty language that teenage girls had to hear, which made them feel like their bodies were shameful and to be covered up. Um, and so I think there's a really important corrective. I think you could correct too far where you say, um, where you, you say ideas about, about modesty are completely irre- irrelevant and impractical and have nothing to do. Like they, they are nothing. I don't think you want to go that far. Um, I don't think guys should come to youth group in speedos. Like I think that would be an inappropriate way to dress at youth group um, unless you're at a pool party. And even then, I don't know. Do guys have speedo rules for swimsuits? Do we have? I mean, if you let a girl wear a two piece, how can you say no to the speedo? I guess. Um, I don't. I don't want to talk too much about this topic because I feel like we're dangerously close to <laughs> Andrew. Get having... specific. Can I, can I hear the rules for your pool party this summer? <laughs> you know, I've. I have never. Whenever there has been. Um, like swimming attire rules from other organizations we've gone to visit, I've told the girls in my group 
I trust you and I do not believe any of you will wear something that is um, immodest or problematic. Um, so, I, and on top of that, the Christian witness, I'm not sure, I'm not sure there's an evangelistic component or a testimony component to how we okay. dress. Well, all right, Alan, before Andrew says too much more. Yeah. <laughs> before we cannot me, post this. <laughs> let me just stop him there and ask you, so far, do you agree? So I agree if we're limiting the word modesty um, to like uh, how how much or how little our bodies are covered. You agree um, with me. I agree with you. you. Let's go. Um, Just wanted you to say it. Wait, I think. Wait, now, now I'm second guessing myself. Well, that's a normal opinion response to agreeing with Andrew. I know, right? <laughs> okay, what, what have I done wrong? <laughs> so I think what we should actually do is expand our definition of modesty to actually include the biblical context for what modesty means. <laughs> Let's go. Spoken like a true Alan. And uh, modesty in the biblical context is not about whether or not your like, more delicate parts of your body were covered. Um, and more about uh, ostentatious displays of wealth, <laughs> um, which we're never concerned about <laughs> in the North American church, at least uh, in my experience. Um, so I think in some sense, uh, the, way, the ways in which we dress and um, the ways in which those like say things about what we value and what's important to us um, we should have some codes that we live by. But in the in in the sense that now, now I'm just giving my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Do it. What? In the what? sense in the sense that we're worried about um yeah, uh, like the display of bodies. I yeah, no. No. There, it's not I no, I don't know. Don't All right. Like, well, this has been really fun. Listeners, if you have other well-known, commonly communicated uh, youth ministry values and tropes, send them in to us for our next episode like this. We'll do it again in a few months maybe and get some more reactions. They can be things that you like and think are good or things that you hate about youth ministry. And we'll, we'll get Andrew's reactions and Ellen's um, affirmations or denials of those reactions. Um, and it'll be great. And I get to stay moderating it so no one knows what I believe. (laughs) John Mark never gets fired after these episodes. I'm actually, this is on purpose. I'm trying to, I'm gunning for everyone's jobs. I'm going to bring people on, (laughs) get them fired, get their job. Wow. Talk about Christian witness. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Alan, I think you got us on our way out. Thank you for joining us today on the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast. You can find our podcast online at OrdinaryYouthMinistry.com and at OrdinaryCast on various social media platforms. You can also contact us directly with any questions, comments, or ideas at OrdinaryYouthMinistry at gmail.com. We hope this conversation will help you impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. See you next time.